Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. It is Saints Day here in the off-season review series. We are in the middle of the NFC South, and we are talking about a team that uh, just barely somehow missed out on the playoffs last year, but is uh, sufficiently reloaded, in my opinion, to uh, at least try to make another run this year with the new cast of characters. So a lot to talk about today on one of the more intriguing teams in the NFC. But before we get to all that, EJ, buddy, my wonderful co-host, how are you doing tonight and uh, what are you drinking? Looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking about one of the more intriguing teams in the NFC South. Uh, One of your favorites, the all-star, Key Lime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, managed to find a small stash of Key Lime, so I'm going to crack that puppy right now. But uh, yeah, rolling through, we're getting to the top half of what was the NFC South last year and Lots of change. Uh, an organization that's been uh, very steady as she goes, and some of that we'll talk about remains, but uh, obviously with Drew Brees moving on and Sean Payton moving on, a lot of changes at the top of the organization. So feels fresh and new, uh, a little more exciting in some ways. Might not all be exciting good, uh, but we'll get to that. So how you doing, and what did you just pour? Uh, a very, very generous pour of Eagle Rare. Which, for my money, uh, I don't even want to call it a budget bourbon, but in terms of like high quality aged bourbons that you can get for less than $35. For my money, Eagle Rare is the best in the market. Uh, one of my favorite bourbons year after year. It never misses, ever. It's my best friend in the world. And, uh, well, other than you, of course. Wow. Look Second at you. best friend in the world. Look at you. I feel like I'm slotted right in behind <laughs> Eagle Rare there, and that's okay. It's good company. It's good company. Uh, We're going to start off with the same segment we do for every single show, which is a little bit of a 2021 recap, high-level recap, before we get into everything that happened since the end of the 2021 season. Uh, The Saints did end at 9-8, again, barely, barely missing out on the playoffs. Uh, The only NFC South team that did make the postseason uh, was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but the Saints were right there in the end. Um, They did make a really, really strong push in the last five games. They went 4-1. Over their last five, um, you know, they they were legitimately in it in the last week to make an improbable playoff push, uh, despite being down their starting quarterback, actually technically being down two quarterbacks, if I recall correctly. Um, 
you know, just just barely missed out. Uh, but they did finish second in the division. Weirdly enough, this is not your older brother Saints team. Um, they were a better road team than home team, which is the exact opposite of what you think with the New Orleans Saints. You know, going back to the the prime like 2009 to 2014 Saints with Drew Brees, where they were absolutely unbeatable at home but you could get them on the road you know you get them outside of that dome they're a little bit vulnerable complete opposite last year and I think it's because uh to be quite honest they've almost flipped their style from those quote-unquote prime Saints years they're a defensive team they run the ball they do well on the road because of that uh but whenever they would get into those dome shootouts i.e at home they didn't quite have the firepower to keep up, especially after Jameis went down. So, um, kind of a kind of an interesting little flip to the franchise there. But with Jameis coming back and some of the added weapons that we're going to talk about pretty soon here, I think that they are a a more balanced team now than they were six months ago when they barely missed the playoffs. They definitely can't lean on the same strengths that they used to, and that includes uh, their home prowess. But from a personnel standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, we're going to talk about the stability. But from a personnel standpoint, this is a changed team. They have different priorities on offense, some of the same, but they're going to have to shift. And it's going to be fascinating to see how they do that on defense. They're going to bring, I think, a lot of the same style. But again, the cast of characters is not the same and continues to shift. A lot of stalwarts uh, are gone. There are a few that remain. They've imported some new ones, and we'll see how that works in balance, uh, trying to replace some pretty high-profile players that left uh, with maybe a combination of a couple of not-as-high-profile players and trying to get the same result. So it's going to be a really interesting watch this season in New Orleans to see how those shifts work on both sides of the ball, frankly. If there's one power structure that I trust to make it work, it's this one. Um, this is a front office and coaching staff, and we've talked about it every year when we do these reviews. Like It is one of the most stable ships in the sea. Mickey Loomis at general manager EVP, 23 years with the organization. He's been there since uh, Y2K was a legitimate concern to the American public. Like That tells you a lot. Um, Dennis Allen, it is year one at head coach for him with the Saints, but he does have head coaching experience with the Raiders. And he spent the last five, six years as defensive coordinator. So he's already very familiar with the franchise, the locker room, everything. It's about as smooth a transition as you could hope for, to be quite honest, in a coaching change. Uh, Pete Carmichael, 14 years at offensive coordinator. That's the Ryan one that Nielsen. gets me. Now, oh, Carmichael. having an OC, 14 years? Yeah. The same OC, same offense, enough success to stick around, enough uh, I don't know, gravitas to survive mm-hmm. coaching and regime changes. And everybody's just like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, no, not yeah, yeah. I mean, a five, six, even a seven-year run, half of what he's done is amazing. You look at that and you're like, is that right? Is he? Damn, he has been the Saints OC for 14 years. I think it's because a lot of people, you know, Sean Payton was the, the quote-unquote head offensive coach for the Saints for so long. So Carmichael kind of flew under the radar, even though he had the OC title. But, I mean, he was still heavily involved in game planning. He was still heavily involved in installs, like everything, you know, self-scouting. Like, he did everything that an OC does. 
It's just, you know, Sean Payton was first chair and he was second chair on game days. So I, I have no problems, um, you know, now that Payton's gone. I, I have no qualms about saying like, yeah, he's going to pick up right where Sean left off because he's been there for 14 years. How do you not? Yeah. He knows the song. He knows the music. He knows the cadence. He's played it up, down, and sideways. He understands all this. So when you talk about a, you know stability at the top of Mickey Loomis, that kind of stability in an offensive system, especially with the coaching staff moving on, we say, oh, well, the coaching staff changed. Did it, though? Not <laughs> like, really. Not, not really. really. Like, Dennis Allen's been there, you know, six years as a D.C. Yes, he moves into the top spot, and that does put a little more onus on Pete Carmichael to really pick up things on the offensive side, but he's been doing it for over a decade with the same team. And, you know, obviously, you know, sharing the last six years with Dennis Allen in the coaching room, like, that relationship's already established. So, yeah, it's a new coaching structure, but it's really not. Well, even on the defensive side of the ball, Ryan Nielsen, first year as co-DC, but he was still the defensive line coach under Dennis Allen for six years, so little to no transition there. Chris Richard, you know, year two as secondary coach, first year co-DC um, for secondary, but again, he's been a, this is not his first rodeo. He's been a DC, he's been a pass game coordinator. Um, Darren Rizzi's been there for four years as special teams coordinator, also now assistant head coach, too. Um, that's the thing with the Saints is they kind of hand out assistant head coach titles like candy. Uh, they, not every team does that. The Saints are one of them that do, whether that's going to help guys get raises and jobs. I have no idea, but Hey, to each their own. Um, but yeah, the power structure at the top is just, it's so rock solid. It's been rock solid for literally two decades now. And, uh, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. No, it's if you're looking for a model of stability, certainly on the coaching side, it's tough to get past what the Saints have put together. Yeah, Steelers, Patriots, but I feel like even Patriots have had more change outside of Bill Belichick. Oh, right? yeah. They've they've churned coaches. Uh, you look at how many and in every area. DC, OC, even special teams, which are <laughs> notorious for changing every couple of years. Um, I I just don't think it can be matched in the NFL. They also have a strong former Saints player presence in their assistant level below that, too, which is not very common. No, they definitely like to bring some players back. And we see this with other franchises as well. We're going to talk about another one this week later on. But on the offensive side for notable coaches, we've got Ronald Curry, uh, who is the passing game coordinator and QB's coach. He is a former North Carolina quarterback. You might recognize him from there. Also a former North Carolina hoopster. Uh, but played wide receiver for the Raiders in the NFL. That's where you might recognize his name from. Doug Marone is the offensive line coach. Now, Doug Marone is the definition of been around or not your first rodeo. <laughs> um, he played for Syracuse, the Dolphins, the Saints, and the London Monarchs. Yes, that will date some users. They'll be like, London who? Yes. Uh, you know, NFL Europe, London Monarchs. Look it up. Good times. But he's coached just about everywhere on top of that. 13 different college and pro teams. He's gone everywhere from the Coast Guard Academy to Alabama. Now he's the offensive line coach for the Saints. Um, Doug Marone, former head coach of the Bills. Like, yeah, you've heard of Doug Marone. And, and Zach, Jags. And Jags. Uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that, unfortunately. Everybody little. forgets about that. I, I had know. I'd I flushed know. that from my memory, but thank you for refreshing that. Also, Bill O'Brien's best friend. Fun fact. I don't think i knew that i knew they were yeah. acquainted certainly from being on the same staff more than once but then again who is doug Moreau not acquainted with from being on the same staff because he's been on all of them um 
And Zach Streif, uh, who you'll recognize as a longtime Saints O-lineman, uh, was the radio announcer on their flagship station for the last uh, three seasons and now moves back into the coaching room as an assistant offensive line coach. So that's the offensive side. The defensive side, we have Brian Young, not Bryant Young, um, as a pass rush specialist, which is an interesting title, so worth listing. Um, but he was a former Ram from 2000 to 2003 and a former Saint from 04 to 08. So again, coming home to the organization and Sterling Moore, a defensive assistant who, again, his uh, playing stops kind of <laughs> uh, mirrored Marone's coaching stops. He was a Patriot, a Cowboy, a Buccaneer, a Saint, and an Arizona hotshot in the AAF. And has, again, come back to New Orleans to be a defensive assistant. That's as close as they get. A little bit vague on the title. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> bringing their folks home uh to come back with the organization just again speaks to that stability that home ground like yep you were here we liked you when you were here you've gone on done some other things why don't you come on home and coach for the saints Uh, keep in mind he got there if i recall correctly it was dennis allen's first year at dc sterling moore uh played for two years under him there so um that's how i imagine that relationship started and then eventually after he retired what was like four years ago something like that Call up your old coach, Dennis Allen, see if he's got a job for you. So uh, excited to see how that works out. Sterling Moore, again, uh, one of those players where uh, you look at him at a coaching staff, you're like, oh, that's where he ended up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a name you know, but not a name you kept track of. Um, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Free agency losses. I want to preface this by, first of all, singing the praises of Mickey Loomis. I have been converted <laughs> over the last three years. I, I And I want to apologize to Saints fan. I, I, want to, I want to say this first off. You guys were right. I can't tell you how many years I was like, oh, it's going to catch up to him eventually. No, this can't continue forever. This kicking the can down the road. This is all bullshit. Numbers matter. Math is real. It's fucking not. Math is fake. <laughs> they have gone two consecutive years clearing $110 million in cap space. Two straight years. In the middle of the salary cap going down because of the pandemic, and they still did it two straight years. Mickey Loomis is incredible and kind of looking at everything they had to do to get it done they they handed out 23 void years to clear 110 million in space which they didn't technically have to clear 110 million they did it because they were going after deshaun watson um ended up not getting him obviously he went to cleveland and that's been a whole fucking can of worms for them since then so they ended up with 20 29 million in cap to use after Deshaun chose a different team, which is when they went out and signed some guys we're going to talk about in a minute. But, I mean, bravo to Mickey Loomis just for the sheer audacity to hand out that many void years 
I mean, you're clearing 18 million for Marshawn Lattimore. You're clearing 14 and a half for Ramchick, Michael Thomas. There's like four guys you're clearing double digit millions for every year, and they get it done every year. Um, that being said, they did lose a couple names, but the fact that they were able to clear that much cap space and limit the damage to just three major, quote-unquote, major names, Quan Alexander, Teron Armstead, and Marcus Williams, the fact that they didn't lose more than that is incredible, and I think the Saints front office deserves all the credit in the world for that. Um, now, talking about those three names, I think you and I can agree Teron Armstead uh, was the best player they lost, but also the most inevitable loss they had because as great as he is, you're got, he's playing 40% of the snaps you know, year after year. And durability is the best ability, and he just has not had that. I think he was the one that they knew was gone, right? Mm, they, yeah. they knew what he was going to get. They knew other franchises were going to be willing to roll the dice. Again, having had him in their building, they knew exactly, and they knew better than anybody what they had and what they didn't have and what the risk was. And they became unwilling to prioritize that to keep. So he was always kind of go. We have to we have to say he's a loss, but we also kind of all saw it coming, and I think the rest of the league did too. Um, Quan Alexander was slowly losing his job to a rookie. He only played he played under fifty percent of the snaps. He played forty seven point nine percent of the snaps. You know, was a fairly big ad when they brought him in, and you know his impact declined a little bit over time still a very good player i'm not saying his playing declined but he got outplayed by somebody they drafted last year that makes you expendable in the nfl if your contract is bigger and your playing time is decreasing the guy that's more economical behind you you're out the door so kwan was a loss but again already have the replacement playing well in the building doesn't feel like a really big loss and that gets us down to marcus williams Marcus Williams was neither of the previous two categories. <laughs> he played 92.7% of the snaps. He played at a very high level. He has since he was a rookie. Yes, he has a very big, notable gaffe that people always look at. And that always bothers me because, you know, all defensive backs are going to give up big plays. He gave up a big one in a bad spot. People sort of hang that on him and move on. And I don't think that's right because he's a very skilled defender, um, you know, Somebody, somebody else paid him $14 million a year. Um, that's not an accident. He is an impact defender. But the Saints looked at him and said, we're going to have to pay him. We know that the rest of the league wants him. He's going to be able to go out and get a very solid contract. Do we do that? Do we try and match or better? Or do we see if we can maybe make his replacement out of a couple of players that basically total up to what he's going to get salary-wise and give ourselves two options instead of one? And they chose the second path, um, not because they didn't like Marcus Williams, but again, with creative cap management as a number one strategy, uh, sometimes you have to make choices like that. So really the only quote-unquote real loss out of those three to me is Marcus Williams because he's a big impact player he's playing a very solid role you know even in his last season in New Orleans you, you're gonna have to come up with some kind of replacement for that to Ron they sort of said we're gonna draft something we're gonna sign something we're, we're gonna we're gonna fill that slot a different way because we know we have to anyways and Quan, they already have the replacement so it almost doesn't yeah. feel like a loss yeah, Pete Warner played excellent last year. So as soon as, honestly, Pete Warner started getting those snaps, we knew Quan was gone. There was no way around that. It was going to happen. Um, 
especially when they needed to clear that much cap space. Like they weren't going to spend that money on Quan. Um, now, in terms of Marcus Williams, that to me is like definition of one step back, two steps forward, because you do lose Marcus Williams, but for only two and a half million more, you're getting a combination of Marcus May and Tyron Matthew. So you're getting two safeties for literally the price of one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, uh, smart cap conscious move there. Uh, really, really good player. It's all about money at the end of the day. Um, now, in terms of players, they were able to re-sign, uh, especially because of uh, some of the room they were able to clear. They they were able to bring Jameis Winston back uh, for $14 million a year, which given the current quarterback market, not bad. Not yep. bad at all. Like Even if you consider him a lower-end starter, it's 30% of the price of a high-end starter. So <laughs> I think he's better than 30% the, the quality of, of sure. those quarterbacks. So again, you know, dollars for value. That's that's great. Uh, PJ Williams, uh, depth at like nickel slash safety. He's one of those guys where you can kind of play him in a variety of places. But he's a depth player for them. Uh, brought him back for less than three million a year. That's great. Uh, Traquan Smith, a in my opinion, like solid wide receiver four type, which for three million a year, fine, sure, whatever. Uh, Juwan Johnson, hybrid hybrid wide receiver, tight end for less than a million. That's bang for your buck. Carl Granderson, who's really had some nice flashes over the last couple of years, uh, for two and a half million for a rotational edge player that flashes as much as he does. That's a great value. Uh, and then Shy Tuttle, who probably will end up starting on the interior defensive line for them, um, played less than half the snaps last year. I think that number is going to go up this year. Again, somebody who's two and a half million for a starting defensive tackle is he a top end starter no but we're talking about value dollars for snaps they did really really well that's the ratio right there it's exactly the words i was going to say it's dollars for snaps how much are we paying how many are we getting and with granderson like he played 40 percent of the snaps for them and like you said there were flashes in there 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 was quality play that kind of made you say i want to see a little bit more of him not oh can we get somebody else to replace him uh and you get an edge playing almost half your snaps i mean again as a rotational edge that's more than half of his assigned snaps for 2.6 yeah with potential like okay is he ever going to plug in you don't really ever want to plug him in as the de facto starter and just lean on him but you don't have to and again dollars for snaps all the way down all the guys you name dollars for snaps they did really really well and we talked about this in previous shows that modern nfl roster construction is you got to pay your quarterback you got to probably pay one of your cornerbacks one of your edges one or maybe two of your wide receivers at this rate and the rest you're going to fill in, right? You're going to pay your left tackle, sure. If you have a great interior, you know, Aaron Donald type that's creating pressure, you're going to, you're going to have to pay him too, but you can't pay him all. And for the rest, you're going to have to make these business decisions, right? You're going to have to say, well, we have one safety that's $14 million. We can get two safeties for 16 Okay, we'll take the two and end up swapping with the Jets, which is always interesting. Like, hey, you take ours, we'll take yours. <laughs> um, but, you know, dollars per snaps ratio the saints pretty much have it dialed now in terms of uh, additions they signed from third-party teams because they did have some money uh about 30 million like 29 30 million in cap space to play with when all was said and done so they did go on a little bit of a spending spree late there uh andy dalton to be presumably their qb2 
now that the Taysom Hill experiment is officially finally over, for the love of God, thank you. Uh, so Andy Dalton's going to be the QB too. Um, he's he's the new Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, the traveling journeyman veteran backup. Uh, Jarvis Landry coming home to be probably their slot receiver because Michael Thomas, if he's healthy, top tier big slot, but can also play outside. Jarvis is somebody who I think fits more inside full time. So I, again, assuming Michael Thomas is healthy, he's at X, Alave at Z, Landry at slot. You have a great trio if everybody stays healthy. Um, we did mention Matthew and May for roughly the same cost of Marcus Williams. You're getting two quality starting safeties. Health has traditionally been a little bit, not even a little bit, a lot of bit of a problem for May, but when he's healthy, he's a very quality starter. And Tyron's Tyron. You know, again, he's going to get banged up from time to time as well, but he's going to give you energy. He's going to give you leadership. He's going to give you instincts, plays a variety of roles for $9 million a year uh, when you got other safeties making a lot, lot, lot more than that. You know, looking at Minka's deal that he just signed and, you know, what Derwin is eventually going to sign for and Bates is eventually going to sign for, $9 million is a value. So they had some money and they used it responsibly. Um, the one thing I found most interesting is that, by God, Tyron Matthew cannot get rid of Dan Sorensen. He's also backing him up once again in New Orleans. It feels like a didn't you see what happened last year moment for the Saints, <laughs> you know, management team? You know, you had Tyron on the field looking at Dan Sorensen like this a lot. Obviously a strained relationship on the field. I don't know about whether off the field, whether they made up and it was just, you know, competitive juices flowing on the field. But like Tyron's like, I have to wait and I get to go home. I get my homecoming, get to go back to where I'm a fixture in the city. I get my bag. I get $9 million. And what are you doing here? Like there's a lot of other players that play the same role as Daniel Sorensen who are available currently still available on the market that they could assign. <laughs> One of those NFL storylines that kind of slips under the radar, but maybe not past our eyes. We're like, really? <laughs> you go all the way to New Orleans and you turn around and the same guys there. Um, I, you know, I'm a Dan Sorensen stand from way back from pre-draft when I spotted him playing special teams and said, I, think this guy can contribute i'm not sure why he's not getting more buzz and got picked up as a udfa worked his way onto the field became a starter had some very good reps for the chiefs has had his struggles in the last couple of years for sure i mean you could do worse as a player by far but it was just interesting given the friction between him and tyron on the field last year that they were like yeah we'll sign tyron and dan since <laughs> didn't really seem like a package deal but they are both saints and we'll see how that plays out lieutenant dan man He's carved out a nice career. Um. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. For the draft, obviously, small class, first things first. That's the first point to be made here. Small class, very, very effective class, um, in my opinion. Like, they did get, 
well, there's one pick that we're kind of iffy on, but we we believe in the coaching staff to make it work. But in terms of like value for each one of their picks, I did not truly disagree with anything they did. Chris Olave at 11, top tier Z receiver prospect, which considering who else is in the receiving core, he's going to play Z. So I think he's going to play the exact role that he should be playing for them. And I think he's going to be very, very good at it. Um, we can argue in terms of like total stacking the board with receivers. Like, was he my top receiver on the board at the time? No, but for the role, yeah, perfect fit. And at the end of the day, what's the difference between pick 11 and pick 17? If he's productive, who gives a shit? Um, Trevor Penning is like the one, and we talked about this post draft where we're kind of like, I don't know, but we're trusting Duke Mannyweather. We're trusting Doug Marone. These are two very good offensive line coaches. Duke signed off on it, said he's he's fixed him. Duke literally said, I fixed his issues. And Doug Marone is one of the better offensive line coaches in the league as well and has been for a while. So we're trusting the coaching there that they're going to get the most out of his physical tools. That's all I can say about it, to be honest, uh, being diplomatic. But I agree with it from that standpoint of, yeah, he's a freak athlete. Trust the coaches. Uh, Alante Taylor, very, very gifted corner prospect. Um, I did wonder if they were going to do like a safety conversion type thing, but it sounds like they're 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 keeping him at corner. Um, you know, he's going to mix in behind Paulson Adebo and Marshawn Lattimore, who are the two slated starters. And CJ uh, Gardner-Johnson is going to be the nickel for sure. But Alante is like your dime corner, considering his physical skill set, his size, uh, aggressiveness. He's a guy <laughs> who likes to tackle. Um, you know, if you're going up against a, a team that likes to run 11 personnel and has one of those like smaller, shiftier tight ends, you know, the... Um, the guys that blur the line between tight end and receiver, that's Alante Taylor's job for me. Uh, DeMarco Jackson, who had a lot of fans in draft circles, I think he's going to be a stud on special teams to start out, in addition to kind of being a depth linebacker for them. And then Jordan Jackson, he was getting so much hype in April out of Air Force. Um, he was the biggest guy on the Air Force roster, still under 300 pounds because it's Air Force, but we're talking a guy who's like 6'5", played at 290, just lanky, rocked up. I, I think he's kind of like a hybrid defensive end, interior guy. Um, I'm curious to see where he plays because they have a whole lot of that type of 6'5", 290-pound uh, hybrid guys with Cam Jordan, uh, Peyton Turner, Jordan Jackson. Like, they... It's all the same profile. He's another one. So looking at this draft class overall, I at minimum liked every pick. And for most of them, I loved them. They've got a type. They've got a lot of types. They've got types in what they like in coaching. They've got types in what they like in players on both sides of the ball. And they stayed true to type pretty much throughout this draft. There weren't any picks that you or I went, what? Saints? Are you kidding? That's, they don't do that. You know, Olave, for me, was one of my very top receivers, regardless of position. I I was a huge, am a huge Chris Olave fan. think he would have fit wherever he went. think he fits very well here. Trevor Penning, crazy athlete. A lot was made about his attitude at the Senior Bowl. I thought that was a lot more fluff than, you know, that was a lot of posturing for offensive line coaches that like that. <laughs> <laughs> my problem was his ability to deal with speed outside and 
if we trust anybody to fix it, we trust Duke to fix it. And Duke said, I fixed it. And my thing was, great, he's a great athlete, but he is not doing well with speed outside. And if you are picking him high, which they did, pick 19 overall, you are playing him at tackle. That is not a guard, right? You need a tackle. You lost a great tackle when he was healthy and on the field. You are playing penning a tackle. They've slotted him in a tackle, and Duke said, I fixed him. So, again, we're going to trust that ability because he's got all the physical ability in the world. But, again, the Saints have done this on both sides of the ball for a long time, the offensive line and the defensive line. They have a type. They take big guys that are great athletes, maybe not the most polished, and they polish them on both sides of the ball. And they've had great success with that throughout the years. So, again, a combination of who he was working with away from the team or away from his college team, combination of landing spot having great success with again grabbing that type and polishing it up and if you're going to polish anybody up there's a lot there to polish with trevor penning he has a lot of traits that can translate and if they get it right he will start for them for a long time at tackle lante taylor i was just waiting for you to say aggressive because he was the most aggressive db (laughs) one of the top two or three most aggressive dbs in this very large draft class he will bring it and he's got the size to back it up he's not one of those tiny little pomeranians that's biting at your ankles like he's six foot right at 200 pounds and he can hit and will hit so yes put him in the slot have him you give him a run fit no problem he's like okay thanks um so again yeah they've got him at corner i'd see him as sort of the fourth corner maybe third safety heavy set he's great for any of that and it's awesome that he gets to sit behind adebo if they do want him at corner because paulson adebo uh much more fluid guy but same size and also very aggressive in man get likes to get in people's faces break passes up so it'll be a great learning environment for alante taylor And again, Saints have had a lot of success with their defensive back profile. They've taken guys like Paulson Adebo. Lattimore obviously had a much higher profile, but he's awesome. They didn't didn't make him worse. They made him better, and that was pretty hard to do. So DeMarco Jackson, I waver a little bit with DeMarco Jackson. Depends on how they use him. I agree with you. Starts on special teams. Um, Undersized, very fast, very active linebacker. Um, A lot of people said really good against the pass. I didn't see that as much. Um, Yeah, I saw more of a... Uh, between the between the hashes run defender than a pass defender personally which is why i was like day one special teams and then like if pete warner gets hurt he plays the pete warner role but not as well as pete warner but for a fifth round pick that's fine because you get a backup linebacker and starter on special teams for that so i i i'm i'm with you the pass coverage part i was like i don't know about that yeah i think in in a in a sort of cone out just wider than maybe the hashes in sort of a, a triangle forward from where he's playing. Yeah, he can cover the pass there. <laughs> can he cover the pass in terms of, oh, that guy just motioned out to the slot. You had him in the backfield, you know, go go stay with Austin Eckler. Like, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> God, want that. No. no, I don't want that. Uh, but, you know, can he grow? And again, we're talking about a fifth round pick late in the fifth round. Like, eh, okay, fine. Like, uh, and again, they have a type. He seems very much like Werner, who they picked the year before and had great success with. There's there's a pattern here. They're picking their type and and think he, he can work in our system and we can work with what he has. So, again, not going to go against the pick. Just wasn't wild about it. And Jordan Jackson, same thing. Like you said, they already have a lot of these guys. They have these – they love big, square, 
lanky, rangy defensive end types that you can play at five, move to four, you know, slide inside at three for, you know, long down and distance. And now they're just going to be able to cycle them in waves. And Jordan Jackson was all about potential. It's like he's playing that well in a not great football environment necessarily. Yeah, let's get him in the building. Let's put him on a strength and conditioning program. Let's get him with a pro coach we think we can unlock some things and again they've had great success in doing that i know i sound like a broken record i am they are picking to type which is a great draft strategy and they've had great success doing that so i'm a believer in this draft small or not look around you can find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. In terms of uh, undrafted additions, uh, undrafted additions, I should say, this is another one of these programs where they bring in a ton of guys. Like even if there's not a whole lot of available jobs, they're going to bring in a ton of guys and just see see who sticks. Um, and they 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 have a few names at the top that I think, considering the the holes they would be filling, I think they will stick. Abram Smith as like your your hammer to go along with uh, Alvin Kamara. He's going to be competing with uh, Mark Ingram and Tony Jones for that like running back two slash three role. I think at minimum he stays on the practice squad because. Alvin Kamara is the number one, but Alvin Kamara is not that early down hammer. You want him to get his touches in other ways that I think are more kind of outside the tackles or in the receiving game. Um, So Abram Smith, I think, fills that role. Lucas Kroll, very athletic tight end prospect, was surprised he wasn't drafted. Um, He's going to fit in with a tight end room that's probably going to be four deep, considering the the other guys they have in that room right now and the skill sets they have Adam Troutman will be the starter Taysom is technically a tight end but like kind of not really uh and then you you got Nick Vanette you got Jawan Johnson Jawan Johnson's like that hybrid tight end slot receiver type so I think he'll stick for that role and then and then you got Lucas Kroll who's another one of these big body athletic freaks that's that's more in the Troutman mold than anything else so uh, I think he will stick on as like TE4 for them assuming they carry four tight ends. Nephi Sewell, hybrid linebacker safety type, is different than every other linebacker they have. And when I say different, I mean different because he can actually cover it, man. We talk about, oh, DeMarco Jackson, he's not the type that you want to flex out to the slot following uh, Austin Eckler. Nephi Sewell is exactly the guy you want flexing out to the slot to cover Austin Eckler. He can do that. So he's going to stick just for dime packages alone. Uh, And then Smoke Monday guy that you're you're pretty fond of uh probably being like their third or fourth safety so they got some guys here man i i do think that they're gonna get at least four to stick on the final 53 you know what they didn't get another quarterback quarterbacks peyton (laughs) left and the annual tradition of the saints bringing in like three udfa quarterbacks from tiny little schools you've never heard of ended 
<laughs> they just didn't do it. They're like, no, thank you. We'll we'll take pro quarterbacks. We'll get them an FA. It's cool. Um, but that, that's sort of a tradition. I was sad to see end. It was always cool to see who caught Sean Payton's eye and all the film he did. Like, yeah, I get that guy. Well, from... He's a small school quarterback that's himself, right. so of course he's going to give guys that's a chance. Right. Get that guy from Central Connecticut Ag and Tech up here. I think he can throw <laughs> a little bit. Okay, all right. Uh, Smoke Monday, big safety, played for Auburn, better going forward than he is going backwards. Very fast, very aggressive. Sounds a little bit like Alante Taylor. Great special teams prospect if you're bringing him in, or great third safety as your heavy safety, dime back or whatever you want to call it. Nephi, if you haven't seen our interview with him over on the Bootleg Football Clips channel, go check that out. Tremendous player, spark in his eyes. Yes, he is from that Sewell family. Uh, <laughs> you know. First, first family of West Coast college football, I guess, if you want to call it that, <laughs> currently. Uh, Lucas Kroll, I was really surprised he didn't get drafted, not because he had amazing tape. His tape was kind of average, but a lot of the limitations that were pinned on him early were about his athleticism, and then he had a crazy pro day late uh, at Pitt and put up ridiculous numbers that just sort of blew all those concerns away so at least he can do it you know again whether or not he does it in pads is a different thing so it was a real study of like testing versus tape and what people prioritize but he's sitting there as free talent the saints add him to what i think is a crowded tight end room that does have a lot of different types but i could see him being one of the final four because he brings them some skills and again sort of fits that type he's like troutman light i think troutman's mm -hmm. better and does more but crawl can do um all of those things a little and that's you know if you're gonna get a third or fourth tight end that fits abram smith like all the other baylor backs to me um you know one cut and go fast 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 and uh, you know if you need one of those and you're going to run that outside zone toss and you know have him go pick his spot with some big athletic linemen going back to the trevor penning pick you put somebody like abram smith behind him five eight times a game and say you know pick your spot and see if you can get a whole shot right see if you can get a 25 yard gash go for it um so again Freetown, a lot of other guys, and they will make some of these other guys that we didn't mention as highlights stick. They always do. They will grab a couple of the defensive linemen. They will grab a couple of the offensive linemen. And, you know, you'll look up four years from now, and one of these guys will have six or eight pro starts. And you're like, where where did he come from? New Mexico <laughs> State. Okay. Derek Schweiger. Yeah. New Mexico <laughs> State. All right. Uh, sure. Yeah. Oh, he's UDFA. Okay. Saints do that occasionally too. So they will they will call through this talent they always have. Um, their UDFA hall, I talk sometimes about how certain GMs have a similarly aligned vision with certain positions with me. I'm like, yeah, I like that guy. I like that guy. Their UDFA eye is a little bit different than mine. They definitely like some different things. I tend not to have as many hits out of their classes that i'm like oh yeah oh yeah yeah the four guys you mentioned straight up a bunch of the other guys like okay um uh, we'll see we'll see yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh in terms of team floor and team ceiling uh this is the last segment we do every single episode um you know what's the what's the absolute ceiling we see in wins and what's the absolute floor we see in wins i i gotta be honest i don't see them being a bad team I, I really don't. I have a seven-win floor, and that's like if shit goes horribly wrong. I'm talking like Michael Thomas still ain't healthy. He's not coming back. Jarvis gets hurt again. Jameis gets hurt again. You know, we got Andy Dalton and Chris Olave versus the fucking world. You know, the defense uh, is is very talented in starting 11, but let's say they start taking injuries and, and they got to rely on their depth, which is not 
particularly great at the moment. Again, the the top slice is amazing. The second slice is is less amazing at virtually every position group. Um, that's what it would take to be a bad team. Like I can't see them losing or winning less than seven games. On the high end, if the football gods bless them with health, that starting 22 is serious. I think they're an 11-win team, and I think they make the playoffs, and once they're in the playoffs, they can play defense, they can run the ball, and Jameis, as long as he's not turning the ball over, with that receiving core, they can compete in a shootout too. Very balanced team, stable structure at the top. They would be a problem. So we're talking about high-end, they can make a Super Bowl run. Low end, they're at least average. That's where I see them this year. We see it very similarly. I I can't bring myself to believe in Jameis for 11 wins. I said 10 for their ceiling, but same neighborhood, different house. Uh, I think 10, is, 10 in the playoffs is absolutely within reach, even if a few things go wrong, because I do trust the coaching staff. I trust that model, the stability. They're not going to panic, even if Jameis isn't clicking at the top level. And I think he's a good quarterback. This is not an anti-Jameis rant. This is, I really don't, Jameis isn't the kind of guy until he proves it to me that I'm ever going to say, oh, that's a 13-win guy right there, uh, even with a good team behind him. He's, he doesn't have that kind of consistency. He has flashes of being a 13-game winner, but not throughout the whole season. So until I see that, I'm going to say 10, but 10 still gets you into the playoffs. You know, 10 and 7 probably gets you into the playoffs. 7 for the floor for me feels right. And that's, again, if Jameis gets hurt and, you know, they go back to the Taysom experiment because I really don't think Andy Dalton has anything left. Uh, Kamara misses time. Michael Thomas doesn't come back. And they really just have to grind it out. And this staff is capable of grinding it out, right? We're going to run the ball. We're going to, you know, basically coach up this offensive line. We're going to get some more contributions from some of those second-tier defensive guys. We're going to, you know, hold other teams and then just try and steal a couple. That's still, if all that happens, they are still a seven-win team because this coaching staff will will it to happen, even with straight second-tier offense and defense. I just can't see them below that. Yeah, so it's, they finished second in the division last year. I think they finish at minimum second in the division this year. Uh, I think uh, despite somehow never having money, they always have a good team. <laughs> it's it's the Mickey Loomis effect, man. He's he's one of the best in the business for a reason. He somehow just makes it work, and here they are every single year. They're going to be in it once again. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. We're going to be back tomorrow with the – uh, quote-unquote number one team in the division we'll see if that holds true for 2022 that is the tampa bay buccaneers uh, a lot of change at the top and also very little change at the top at the same time so a lot to go over tomorrow with them and then remember on friday we have our kind of macro division as a whole look that we do every single friday so see you all back here same time tomorrow same bat channel and until then later and if you made it all this way Click like and subscribe because you're hanging on. You're still here. DJ, you're a real YouTuber now. Look at There's you. There's just more coming. <laughs> yeah, we got to push it. We're putting out a lot of content here. And if you made it all the way through a 45-minute episode on the Saints, even if the Saints aren't your team, and you're not subscribed yet, just ask yourself why. I'm so proud of you. I know. Look at me just glowing <laughs> up all over the place. 
We'll see you we'll tomorrow. We'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> Take care. wondered how to say good morning in Italian or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.